Welcome to the Momentum Podcast. Our hope is to fill you with the light and life that are found in Jesus so you can shine in the world around you. A great next step if you'd like to grow in your faith is connecting to a community. We would love to help you connect at Momentum. For more information, visit MomentumSanDiego.com. Again, that's MomentumSanDiego.com. We hope you enjoy the message. So right now, you are one of billions. Right now, billions of Christians are gathered all across the globe. There's hundreds of thousands of churches. Churches in tall stone buildings with gray fronts in Eastern Europe. There's secret churches in China and Iran even right now. There's churches across our country gathering to lift up Jesus the life he lived, the death he died, and the salvation that can be found in him this morning. Even right now, a brand new church was born. Just a few short months ago, you guys, us, Momentum, the family, sent $100,000 and 73 of our best, brightest people to start a new church in the Ocean View Hills area. Not just a church because you check that off your box and people need a place to come and stand and sing. A church because we believe churches are the hope of the world. Churches offer salvation in Jesus' name. Churches are actually the only thing that Jesus is still building to this day. Churches move into neighborhoods and make them better and brighter. And today we are celebrating as a family, two different locations, a brand new church that's going to bring life, bring hope in Jesus' name and make this county a better and brighter place. So here's what we're doing. Yeah, you can say, yeah, I'll take one. Yeah, this morning. That's all I need. If you're cold, this sermon's going to be hot. So just don't you worry. We're going to pray for them. We're going to pray for us and what God's doing in this place, and we'll dive. Let's go. God and Father, your will be done. Move us out of the way. God, oh, for Church 180 and Ocean View Hills, I pray that light would come bursting forth into darkness. I pray new guests walking into that place would feel something different there, something that they've been craving. I pray that that team and those leaders would be bold. And I pray that today would begin a day, a movement of people being transformed and changed in Jesus' name in that area. God, in this church, bless us. In this church, we need you. We're looking to you and we are hungry. In Jesus' name, amen. So he wakes up well before the sun. For his brothers who are laying around the floor in this little hut that sits on the edge of his dad's property. In the darkness, he grabs a few things, a little sling. He puts it in a bag, this canteen made from the skin of a goat. He grabs a little half loaf of bread from the counter. In the corner, there's that little staff that he takes with him each morning. He steps over some people who are still sleeping that day and heads out the door. He walks by the moonlight down the path towards the back 40 in his dad's massive plot plot of property. He can barely see, but he follows that little path around the first hill, up over the second, down and around the bend, past his dad's house, and out to the edge of the land. He walks up to the little wooden fence 
He slaps hands with the night watch shepherd who's been there with the sheep, watching them through the night. He opens the sheep gate and he looks at the sheep that he's looked after, the same sheep for the last five years. As a matter of fact, he stops and wonders in his family if there's really much difference between him and the hired hand that watches the sheep. He watches him by day, that guy watches him by night, but he puts the thought out of his mind so it won't slow him down. He makes the little and the sheep look up and know that it's him. He walks them from that little pen down the road, across the little stream, over the spot where it's shallow and the rocks are, up again to where the stream runs around and the field meets the stream. There the sheep have all the grass and water they need for the day. He counts them. They're all there. He walks up to the hill underneath the tree and there he watches them. So the sun goes down. He counts the sheep again, brings them back to the pen, tags the night watchman by the hand, and repeats the same day over and over and over. Early morning, it's sheep. All day, it's sheep. Later that evening, more sheep, and repeat. Wake up, grab your things, watch the sheep go to bed. Wake up, grab your things, watch a sheep go to bed until this day. Everything starts out as usual. As a matter of fact, he forgot the little harp that his brother had given him. He left it at home, so there's nothing to do but sit and stare into the horizon and just count down the days, wondering if this is all his life will ever amount to until his eyes see something new on the horizon that he has not seen before. Way down. The road to Bethlehem that he can see way off in the horizon comes an old man Knees shaking, back bent, walking with a single cow towards town. Now in the Middle East in these days, it's a very unusual sight. Old men don't journey by themselves, let alone with one cow. No one would bring one single cow to Bethlehem. Not in the middle of the week. There's not even a market this day. And he watches and wonders what's going on. He watches a few elders from the village come out and greet this man. This man must be important because they rush him into the village. And he can see what's going on. He can see the entirety of Bethlehem. Not Bethlehem as you know it, where Jesus would come from. But Bethlehem, over a thousand years before Jesus would ever be born there. And he watches the old man over an hour in the city as he's disappeared, wondering who he is, what he's up to, and if he'll ever come out. And then about two hours later, the old man reemerges with his cow on the back end of the town, walking east. He knows when you walk east in that direction, there's only one place you're going. It's to his father, Jesse's house, and to the very plot of land that he's occupying. He'll come around the east road and bend down the only other road that connects, and that's exactly where this old man walks, wobbly knees, bent back, single cow, into the house of his father. The old man approaches the house of his father. He can't hear what's going on. He can only see these little figures in the distance, and he watches as his father, Jesse, comes out and greets the old man, and for some reason, Jesse just dives on the ground, face on the floor in front of this man. The old man helps him off and dusts him off. They hug. Jesse escorts this man into the house. You see all of these servants come running out of Jesse's house, grabbing water and provisions and different measures of hospitality in keeping with the Jewish customs in that time. And no one knows what's going on and that this day will echo through history. After they've eaten, drinking, 
and hung out, the servants come running back out and he can see them moving to the other homes of David's brothers that are sitting there on that property. They go back and David sees all of his brothers being escorted and lined up in front of this old man, his cow, and his father, Jesse, shoulder to shoulder, all in a line. And he can't tell what's going on, but it looks important. One by one, the brothers step forward. The old man shakes his head, they step back. And the next one, and the next one. They both shrug, they look at each other. Jesse motions to a servant who comes walking David's direction. David's dying with curiosity in this moment, so he goes to meet the servant halfway. The servant looks at him and he goes, David, Samuel's here, he's looking for a king. Step out of the story for a minute. Who is Samuel? Samuel is a prophet. We're going to learn about him in the book of 1 Samuel that we're going to look into today. Chapter 16, if you want to make sure I'm not making this stuff up. We're going to learn about David. Let me give you the facts on David. You, maybe you've heard the name David. He's most known for his encounter with Goliath, a king, a leader of the people of God. In this time, God wanted to lead his nation to become a light to the world. By following him, he would bless them, and the people of the world would be blessed through them. He would raise up kings to do so. David's a king who followed a king named Saul. He walked in a relationship with God. David would be recorded in history as a man after God's own heart. And we are going to watch David. We are going to follow David. David was a man. Let's get to our series title now. I'm 15 minutes in. God's movement, my life. We're going to watch the way God moved and shaped and took David from shepherd to king because there are lessons there for our lives today. We can learn from David how to become who God is shaping us and where we end up, sorry, that he would be taking us. We're going to study his life because where God moved, David moved. David was a man who stayed in step with God. We did the survey a while ago. What are you dealing with? What are you wrestling with? What kind of questions abound in your life? And one of the number one responses on cards we got back was, how do I know what God's will is? How do I know where he wants me to go? How do I know what's next for me? How do I know what's the right choice out of these three choices? How do I know what I'm supposed to become and where he's pointing me? How do I discover it in this series, God's movement, my life, your life? We're going to learn how to become. We're going to become experts in who God is making us and where God is taking us. And we're going to follow this man named David in 1 Samuel 16, verse 2. You get the story that I just told you from Samuel's perspective. It says, the Lord said, take a heifer with you and say, I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. Invite Jesse to sacrifice and I will show you what to do. You are to anoint for me the one that I indicate. What does that mean? So there was a king named Saul before David. Saul rejected God. So God rejects Saul and finds a new king. But Saul's on the hunt for Samuel and whoever this new king will be. So God says, hey, take this cow with you. Your old man, they'll see you walking. If anybody asks you, tell them that you're just going to make a sacrifice. So that's exactly what happens here. It picks up in verse 4. It says, Samuel did what the Lord said. When he arrived in Bethlehem, the elders of the town trembled when they met him. They asked, do you come in peace? Yes, I come in peace. I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come to the sacrifice with me. Then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. That just means they got their hearts right with God because what they were be about to be up to was sacred, it mattered, and it was very, very holy and set apart. And it says this, 
When they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab, one of David's brothers, and thought, surely the Lord's anointed stands right here before the Lord. He's good looking, tall, and capable. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. And then underline this sentence, live in this sentence, memorize this sentence. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. If you want to end up where God God is taking you. If you want to end up in the center of his will, this verse is essential. We'll come back to that in just a second. Then Jesse called Abinadab and had him pass in front of Samuel. But Samuel said, the Lord has not chosen this one either. Then Jesse had Shema pass by Samuel. And, and Sam, but, Samuel or, but Samuel said, nor has the Lord chosen this one. Jesse had seven of his sons pass before Samuel. But Samuel said to him, the Lord has not chosen these. So he asked Jesse, are these all you have? See, I'll tell you something. I was a firstborn. Where my firstborn in the family's at? Come on, make some noise. Perfectionism. And I cornered my parents when I was a child. And I would single my mom out. And, and I was the rule follower. And I was good. And I'd be like, Mom, just say it one time. Just once. Just once. Just say I'm the best child. Come on, that's all I need. Hey, it'll be between me and you. I won't tell my sister. Just come on. One time, to this day, she hasn't done it because parents don't play favorites. Did you see Jesse? He just played all the favorites. He lined them up from most favorite to least favorite. He was like, all right, SAT scores, 2,000 plus over here, under 1,000 over there. We might get to you later. Samuel, I heard you're looking for a king. Have I got a guy for you? And Samuel says, no. Okay, I'm sorry. Have I got a guy? He says, no. He's like, none of them? Now, if I'm in this group at this point, I'm going, what the? He's like, come on. And so they come over and they check out the lower crust and they say, no. He goes, are these all your sons? They go, no, this boy. Now they're in the field. Verse 11, they're still the youngest, Jesse answered. He's tending the sheep, Samuel said. Send for him. We will not sit down until he arrives. So he sent for him and had him brought in. He was glowing with health and fine appearance and handsome features. The Lord says, rise and anoint him, this one. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. Samuel then went to Ramah. This is David's movement moment. This is the moment where he went from watcher of sheep to leader of men. This moment right here marked history because now thousands of years later, when a small team plays a large team, we go, wow, this is a real David and Goliath situation. It all flows back to this moment. And this moment is one of the most misunderstood moments in all of scripture. Can I tell you something? And I accept responsibility. As a pastor, pro, uh, teacher, preacher of God's word, it is our fault that David's life is misunderstood like this. Because if you're lucky, you get three moments in David's life. There's this little moment, and they go, see, God doesn't look at the big, God can use you no matter who you are. And everyone's like, okay. And then there's David and Goliath, and they're like, see, and he just killed the giant. And when you believe in God, you can kill a giant. And you're like, okay. And then there's, you know, that, that one verse where he had the little miss up with Bathsheba, if you've heard that story before. And then we go, yeah, but he kind of recovered. And then David lived happily ever after. False. 
Nobody tells you, look at me, nobody tells you that this was the moment that everything got bad for David. Nobody tells you he got one little chapter of here, the Lord's anointed, one more chapter of O David and Goliath, and then 15 years of depression. 15 years of being mocked and laughed at. 15 years of not sitting on a throne, but running for his life, sleeping in caves next to the animals. 15 years of hurt and of angst. We're going to read his journal entries in a couple weeks. And you hear him saying, why have you done this to me? Nobody tells you that. And nobody tells you those 15 years were exactly what David needed to go from shepherd to king. And that God was with him in those years. Nobody tells you that his reign as king was probably better because of those 15 years. Nobody tells you that all the people that he watched over and was in charge of were probably better off because of those years. Nobody tells you that in those 15 years, David was learning when everyone doubts you and no one is for you, you can look your eyes to the hills because your help really comes from the Lord. Nobody tells you in those years that David was learning the kind of counsel you need to bring around you and the type of counsel that's fit for a king. Nobody was tell you that in those years of pain, David was learning valuable lessons that would one day propel him to the throne and kind of make him the man that the world needed him to be. And no one tells you when you get to that tiny verse and it says the Lord looks at the heart and those are the people he uses that he's still looking at hearts and uses those kinds of people today. That's just the intro, y'all. Nobody tells you that when God wants to write a story in your life and mine that it usually moves the same way. We're going to watch David. We're going to study his life, the way he listened. What was it in his heart that made God use him? Can we put that in our hearts today? Is it possible for us, like David, to be shaped through every single event we encounter and through those things become who God is shaping us to be and ending up going exactly where he's made us to go? We're going to go there. I don't have a lot of time, so I'll simply tell you this. There's this pattern that we're going to see unfold in the book of First and Second Samuel. And this pattern, it appears the Lord really works through and uses because once you see it, you see it everywhere. There's this pattern. Oh, you got this big blank space in your notes. That's not a misprint. You get to draw today. I suggest drawing this pattern. We see that God usually begins with these awareness moments. There's this awareness of God that happens in the life of David. We just read about it. All of these different things come together, like his calling, his past, his gifting, the community around him. These moments that God had orchestrated in his past were exactly what he needed for his future. All of those dots connect, and David becomes aware of the call of God in his life. But interestingly enough, after that awareness, there's a stage of refining. For David, it was 15 years, but that refining years. See, so many times we look at these years and wish them away, but they were exactly what David needed to get to his God-given destiny. It's interesting because the young David probably thought becoming king was sitting on a throne with somebody who would feed you grapes all day. But after the 15 years, he realized he's been entrusted with this throne, and it is not for him, but it's for people. And he sees himself as a servant of God and others. And when people finally get that, the world around them begins to flourish. Now watch this. 
you begin to see this pattern, and you, I begin to believe that God's fond of this because I see it everywhere in Scripture. Go to the life of Joseph. Joseph's life, if you've heard the story of Joseph, is this other Old Testament hero. And it begins with these dreams and vision. And he's dad's favorite son, Joseph, in the amazing Technicolor dream coat. And he gets all gassed up on where God's making him and who God's making him to be and what's going to come next in his life. And it takes him to the bottom of a pit where he is sold as a slave. For 17 years, he serves God in prison but he stays faithful and he is shaped and he eventually gets put as the right-hand man of Pharaoh in Egypt. And his counsel and all of those lessons become a blessing to all of Israel because there's a famine and it is through Joseph that his family, all of Israel and Egypt are saved and they flourish. Go to Jesus. He was baptized. When his ministry begins at his baptism, he has this moment. He comes out of the water and the voice of God says, this is my son with whom I'm well Please, where does he go after baptism? Right to the desert where he's shaped and refined. He comes from the desert and he emerges with a clear vision for what his life would be about, his ministry and his impact on the world and his flourishing. And what we're gonna learn as we study flourishing does not mean you get rich, fat and happy. His flourishing was his death and his death brought us life. And you can watch this pattern unfold all throughout scripture, almost every scripture. And you see it in the world around you too. I had some friends who, who adopted. And, and those of you who adopted or have or have that in your story probably are looking at this and laughing and you know where I'm going. Because they had this moment of clarity and they're like, oh my gosh, our heart is broken and there's this kid and we've been connected to the kid and I was praying about it and you were praying about it and we're praying the same thing and we were connected to them through this uncanny set of situations and then this kid fell in my life and we were so excited about it. And we had all these plans and we read all the adoption books and none of it worked. And this kid had some habits from its kid's last environment that it brought into the new environment. And this kid's mom had some habits that became a part of this young kid's soul. And this kid ripped the house down, you guys. But there was something about that refining that tore down all those expectations of what should be and what could be. And they were able to lay those down and embrace what was. And when they did that, they were exactly what the kid needed. And now this child is flourishing. I get to disciple young leaders. It's one of my favorite things, like raising up young pastors who do ministry in churches and all this stuff. There's a kid named Brian Shambari, came to Christ. He walked through the doors with destiny written all over his life. Comes to Jesus, Bible college, and like we're texting, he gets a ministry job, a youth ministry. He's gonna preach and teach and pastor. And he's got this, he is pumped, man. He's got this vision of what it's gonna be like. And I'm gonna give these sermons and these kids are gonna come to know Jesus. And I got this thing. And he's in this church, this country church in Tennessee somewhere. And then he gets there on the first day of job. And then this, this lady who's been around the church for 35 years reports him to the elders because he changed the curtains. And he's sitting in front of the elder board trying to explain why this gal mad about the curtains. He called me like, bro, this is not what I signed up for, man. And I said, is there anything that God wants to do in you through this? And then he learned in addressing them how to talk to authority figures and respect them. And then in one-on-one -on -one conversation, he had to learn conflict resolution. And now these soft people skills are exactly what he was missing because they don't teach you that stuff in Bible college. And now this kid's leading a ministry and a church that are flourishing. Awareness, refining, real work, flourishing. My friends bought a business. What's cooler than buying a business? And then these dreams for what they're going to do and create and make and what it'll become. And, and then they get the staff. 
and they realize there was just this total parenting lapse in everybody who was on the staff. These people have needs and issues and skills that were never shown to them, and they're beginning to put their arms around this group of people, and they realize the real work is not what the business does, but who the business employs, and they've embraced it. And I can guarantee you, I know what's next in the stage of that business. Awareness, refining, real work, and flourishing. I was bringing this into 2020. What does this mean for us? There's this space in your notes where you can fill in blanks. Number one simply says this. When I understand how God works, I can begin to see how God is working. I talk to so many people who have questions about, God, what's next? The young people, it's like, should I date? And is it him or is it her? And when's the right time? And I'm putting my education in. And which one of these schools should I take? And I I don't know what I'm supposed to do with my life and which path and career and the opportunities that are in front of me. And then some time goes by and it's like, how do I find a spouse? And is this the person? And when are we supposed to get married? And should we do this and jobs first? And then my life and how should this go? And then when do kids fit in the picture? And how do I find the right kind of person, and then time goes by, and they're like, all right, now that we're actually made it and established, like, we got more than we know what to do with, and are we going to vacation here? Are we going to vacation there? And then some time goes by, or maybe some life happens, and it's like, okay, I didn't expect to end up here, and there was a divorce, and now we're apart, and I tried to walk, but now I just find myself in this place. I didn't think I would be in this place, and how do I go to that place, or is that the place that's for me next? We're empty nesters now, and now that the kids are gone, we've got all these options, and we're trying to determine where our energy goes and what we're supposed to do next. Matter of fact, I mean, I bet everybody in this room has a what's next God question in our heart right now. There's that thing. You're like, what is it? Which deployment? Which city? Which person? Which place? Can I tell you something? You can learn to watch what God is doing. He's an unchanging God. Yesterday, today, tomorrow, always. You can look at what God did yesterday. And through scripture, specifically, we're going to look to the life of David. And we're going to learn how to see what he's doing today. And where he wants us to go tomorrow. The golfers know that the farmer's opens in town. Tiger is like seven under when I checked this morning, something like that. Those of you who golf, I love watching golf, know that putting is a game within a game. And what's amazing when you watch these guys is they go to these greens just designed to just destroy you, to suck your soul away as a golfer. And then these pros and their caddies have gotten good at reading the greens. The green is sloped this way. The ball is here. The hole is here. But the whole green is shaped this way. So it looks like the hill's going this way, but the whole thing's going this way. So I'm going to hit it here and it's going to go this way and it's going to bend. That's why this is what, you ever see this on golf? Like the ball is here, the hole is here, but then the guy aims this way and he like, and it like runs around. They have learned to see the unseen and how to respond accordingly. And you can do the same. Some of y'all parent toddlers, so you know what I'm talking about. Some of you have parented toddlers, so you know what I'm talking about. When you parent a toddler, you have to learn to see the unseen. We were at community group last semester, and we were just all hanging out. And the kid was over there in the corner doing this. 
I didn't see, I just saw a kid. That kid's mom was like, we gotta go! Get out to the bathroom now! And they're, you know, like, take a, ah, whew! They learned how to see the unseen and respond accordingly. Can I tell you something? You can learn to do that with the will of God in your life. We're gonna become experts in who God is making us and going where God is taking us. And we can learn to see the unseen. Number two is this. I'll simply tell you that integrity is everything. We'll go back to this verse really quick and sit on it. For Samuel 16, 7, the Lord does not look at the things that people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Can I give you a spoiler? Each one of these stages is not about the destination, but rather what God wants to do in your heart in the process. And it is what he wants to do in your heart and your receptivity to it that will determine where you end up. Spoiler alert, God cares so much more about who you are than what you do. He is preoccupied with shaping your soul. And that comes first, but interestingly enough, there is this dynamic in the kingdom of God. When you become the right who, you always end up doing the right do. When you simply make your effort and your energy becoming the person that God has made you to be, allowing him to shape you, you always end up right where you're supposed to be at the end of it all. There's this related verse, 2 Chronicles 16. It says, for the eyes of the Lord search back and forth across the whole earth, looking for people whose hearts are perfect towards him so that he can show his great power in helping them. Do you notice what it says? When we're talking, this is one of the clearest God's will, where do I go, how do I find God, and have him take me somewhere versus in all of Scripture. And it does not say the eyes of the Lord are just waiting for the right moment when you pour the alphabet soup into the bowl and the letters spell out the name Daniel, and you're like, aha, my future husband's name will be Daniel. Oh, the soup, thank you, Lord, God of hosts, you have spoken through thine soup. no. The Lord doesn't say, you're going to open up and open the Bible. And then you look down and it's like, you should move back to Minnesota. And the Holy Spirit slid in this verse and it tells you what to do. And then you do it and there was no risk involved. And it was just clear and he put everything open and you just walked to Minnesota. Number one, if you're thinking about going to Minnesota, don't go. It's cold and the Vikings are just going to disappoint you again. Too soon? Can I tell you something? This book doesn't tell you who to marry. It doesn't tell you what job you should take or what city you should live in. But it tells you what kind of spouse you should be. And it tells you what you should do when you've been blessed by God. And it has all kinds of stuff to say about how to learn to listen to his voice. It's a far better endeavor to invest in who you are becoming than where you are supposed to go. Can we go back to David? What if the reason that God showed up in that field on that day is he'd been watching David? 
And God needed a king, and he was looking for somebody who would be consistent and faithful with the small things. No bitterness in his soul, no entitlement. David showed up and watched the sheep faithfully. And what if that faithfulness is exactly why God said to Samuel, I need you to go to the town of Jesse just outside of Bethlehem and find the one I'm looking for. What if two other people, what if two other brothers had that job before David? And one was on the job for two years, and then the next brother was born. He's like, I'm out of here. And then the next brother did the job, and he was tired and entitled. And he's like, I was made for more than sheep. And then he left, and the next day, David sat in that seat. And then the Lord sent somebody, and it was David, because he was there faithful. What if the reason David was allowed to experience the kind of success and blessing that he was blessed with was because way down here when the stakes were low and nobody was looking and he could have cheated and he could have moved some numbers around and did a few things and taken a few shortcuts, he was committed to integrity. And God was like, that's the kind of man I need on the throne one day. What if God has orchestrated every single part of the circumstance you find yourself in right now. Every person, every dynamic, every situation, and his eyes are roaming the earth to discover if or if not you will be faithful where he has placed you. What if this is a bigger deal than you think? Number three in your notes. It's written in first person. Maybe you can mumble this to yourself. God's movement in my life is a bigger deal than I think. And it is. And it's a big deal because it's not about you. It's not about me. It's about God and it's about other people. John, could you go to my next one? I want to give you a tip as you're trying to discover God's movement in your life. This isn't something that happens once. It's not like, oh, God was after me, and then back in, back in 02, I got baptized, and you know what? There was some refining, and boy, oh boy, I'm working, and I go to church now, and I'm doing my best I read my Bible from time to time, and one day in heaven I will flourish. It, one day. Mm -mm. God's a God of journey. He's a God on the move. I challenge you to find one person in Scripture that God did not take on a journey. And you'll notice that the cycle is something that repeats in our lives over and over and over. Sometimes they overlap. Sometimes it's far more muddy and messy than we might realize. But it repeats. And as it repeats, I'll tell you something. Your character grows. This is about God. Because God has a dream for who you will become. He has a dream specifically for you. 
There's a dream. He has a vision in mind for the kind of man you will be, the kind of woman you will be, the kind of parent you will be, the kind of empty nester you will be, the kind of friend you will be, for the kind of soul you will maintain. He wants you to be strong and bold and loving and wise and kind and powerful. He's got that in mind for you. Often I find that he wants it for me even more than I want it for myself. But as I journey with God and as he walks me through my journeys and my places and my appointments, I find that he's doing so to make me into the man that he had in mind from the beginning. And the question is, will I walk with him? I'll tell you the other thing. It's about God and it's about other people because here's what I find. As my character grows, so does my contribution. What I find is I never have any more genuine influence than my soul will allow me to carry. My influence never exceeds my character. As a matter of fact, when your influence does exceed your character, the leader usually implodes. Show me any pastor who had this big fall and the whole thing crumbled down. What happened? His influence grew bigger than his character could sustain. But God's a God of grace and a God of journey. And he wants to walk with you. And he wants to grow your character and he wants to grow your ability to contribute to others. Can I tell you something about your life? No matter who you are this morning, this is true about you. God made your life to impact other lives. But there will only be as much impact as there is faithfulness because it is that faithfulness that's gonna develop a character which truly impacts the world around you. Here's my question. What could be more important than walking in this? It ain't like you, you gotta have an application step at the end of your message. I've never been good at those. Because the application is like, trust God with your life, follow him because he's got plans for you. All right, go on now, have a good week. So here's the application step. I want you to give these four weeks to this. This is our journey. This is where we're going. And I want you to apply this by saying, I'm gonna give the next four weeks of my life to becoming who God is making me and going where God is taking me. If you're applying this message, There'll be some time when you text somebody back and you say, I'm sorry, we'll be a little late. We're going to go to church first because there's something important there and then we're going to this. Applying this would be like, hey, I, I know we normally connect in the thing and we're every other, but like for these next four Sundays, I just think God has for, something for me and I'm going to be at it. And together, we learned a journey. Let's go. Let's pray. God and Father, you're it, man. There's no one like you. You sent your son. You took care of our sin. You tap us on the shoulder this day. You give us dreams and passions and visions. And I pray in this community, no matter what age or what stage, you would grab us by the hand and help us walk into those dreams, those visions, that you would breathe life and that you would bring life. In Jesus' name. Amen. Love you guys. If you're joining a new group or doing our new group thing that's today, there's community group signs out there that show you where to take your kids and where to sit. Uh, El Pollo Grills for lunch if you're at that thing. If not, sorry. Love you. See you next week. Peace. 
Thanks again for listening. Be sure to check out our YouTube channel, subscribe to the podcast, and download the Momentum app from your app store. See you next week.